Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. Okay, well, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to these uh, sessions as part of the uh, Bristol Festival of Idea. And the session that has been discussing since this morning is it time for universal basic income? And uh, with me today for our panel that will explore the implication of the uh, universal and the relationship between the universal basic income and fiscal and monetary policy, with me, as I said, are Bernard Neumarker, a professor of economics and director of the Department of Economic Policy and Constitutional Economic Theory at the University of Freiburg, and Thomas Paley, an independent economist and author writing about obviously economics and finance, uh, living in Washington, D.C. And he is, uh, Thomas is the founder and co-editor of the Review of Keynesian Economics. So welcome, uh, Thomas and Bernard. Um, and welcome to all participants. I can see then we have uh, now uh, a few people joining uh, the chat. Um, so you know the rules of the game. So we're going to have a presentation uh, by our two speakers, and then we will open the Q&A and you can join in all sorts of ways, but feel free to fire the questions uh, at um, uh, using the chat. And then we also have a system of selecting the most voted questions on this topic. So um, I will start, uh, I will go, you know, alphabetic order. So we start with uh, Bernard and ask mm -hmm. him to uh, present, to give us his thoughts and insights on this topic. And I believe mm -hmm. Bernard, you have a PowerPoint presentation or some slides mm -hmm. to show our uh, audience. So Bernard, it's over to you, and I'm sure you are very adept to this technical. Okay. Uh... Thank you very much for this nice introduction. I try to share uh, the the screen now. Um, to yeah, here it is. So I hope you can see it. Perfect. I would like to contribute to a specific idea which is very important, not only to fiscal policy, but also to social and, um, and economic policy, namely a, a, a concept of myself, which is called the net basic income. And it's on UBI in times of crisis. And one can recognize that at least in the German case, it's easy and even easier than one might think to finance and to make a UBI product, productive. Here, I, we have published it in a previous version on the homepage of the Freiburg Institute of Basic Income Studies, and it will, it will be published probably this year also in the Journal of Markets and Ethics, so that you can read uh, more information on the ideas. So in Germany, we have a lot of political relevance of, of UBI with respect uh, to different topics. First, a basic pension. This means for old aged, 1,050 euro per month was the idea behind it. It's not uh, completely realized due to the fact that we still have uh, not only eligibility and entitlement testing, but also once again, means testing and targeting. Then we had the idea of the climate bonus, especially from the 
social democrats uh, but it's also not implemented we will see if this will be done in the next step together with the greens for example in a coalition then we have from the more conservative side the idea about a citizen fund a supplementary pension for everyone the same round about 145 euro as a return to public capital the idea is that uh, the state uh, employs a, a public capital fund which grows and grows and then can finance the citizen fund we have a lot of uh, field experience and pilot studies and lab experiments now we have the argument uh, especially during the crisis that we need more, uh, more unconditioned money to caregivers as well as to protect the problem of old age poverty and last but not least the german supreme court argued we need some freedom from sanction for dignified basic social security and this should be around about 500 euro or so per month which is then not based on the workfare system and on means testing but now during the corona crisis to the covid pan pandemic and uh, the crisis management we have seen that in fiscal policy and you will see it with the net basic income concept we have additional financing options and especially offsetting um, a potential of public expenditure positions to finance it very easily the financing problem is not there it will help as usually in social policy in questions then of substituting and complementing old-fashioned social policies and also will you will see that i attack a problem of the functional uh, 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 inequality of functional income and justice and also government issues even for economic policy which is usually completely ignored in the basic income discussion it may be helpful in supporting more specific economic and environmental policies i will uh, present you two examples for that especially in times of crisis so if that holds uh, then uh, it is definitively and now time for universal basic income and the question of the conference uh, i would say will be answered completely for uh, uh, by by my contribution as it was before that by other contributions as well so during the crisis the net basic income can be first an emergency measure and in the end a reform action uh, uh, a basis for reform action and implementation device here that graph is what i will not completely uh, explain but you see here uh, what i will tell you with the net basic income implementation is that it first may work as an emergency measure for crisis management especially for freelancers and so on and so forth and then you have a first step towards a gradualistic implementation of basic income if uh, for example politicians in direct democracy indirect democracy or the, uh, the the civic society or even authoritarian governments believe that it's only for managing the crisis valuable then they move back in better times to a workfare system but if they believe that this should be only a first step to, sus to sustainable reform towards ubi then we would complete the gradualistic reform 
uh, with NBI for crisis and full UBI, participatory UBI, for example, for pre and post crisis situations. So the basic idea of the the basic idea of the um, of the net basic income and therefore it's it's novel. It is clearly um, that you see in usual state measures the entrepreneur, the worker, and um, the uh, solo self-employed, the freelancer, receives state aid measures, and with these aid measures, he has to pay rent and tenure, and he has to pay interest on capital and redemption. So therefore, the payments to the individuals are not only for them, they are also for the rent income seekers and for uh, the capital uh, owners. So therefore, it, uh, my approach is very nearby that of that what Guy Standing said, we are living in, not in a productive capitalist society, we are living very often under co the constraints of rentier capitalism. And here I would like to regulate uh, uh, rentier capitalism with the net basic concept. The problem is now with this traditional emergency measures that you have unforeseen contingencies. Yes, uh, these are targeted, they are means tested, they want to receive, they want to realize target efficiency and the problems is you see many non-take-ups before because many individuals fail with some criteria of uh, taking it up. Um, we do not know from an ex-ante conception if we can solve the uncertainty uh, effects of the crisis completely because we have unforeseen contingencies which cannot be regulated neither by means testing nor by target efficiency. So therefore we have low reliability and lacking predictability for the citizens. And what we have recognized due to the uh, traditional emergency measures was uh, a lot of uh, insolvencies of non-take-ups of omissions of uh, system relevant uh, groups. And the idea behind uh, the approach is now threefold. First, um, you see here there exist individuals who would receive under the traditional measures always unearned income. And this unearned income should be also treated when there is a lockdown, just like earned income. So the rentiers should be treated equally. If not, then we have, uh, in the end, high inequality between rent income and a working and productive performance income. And this would be called an unfair rentier capitalism. On the other hand, these unearned income owners, receivers, should also pay a solidarity and fairness payment to the society in the way, just like a freelancer or a restaurant owner has to paid due to the lockdown of his payments. And in the end, um, an equal payment for ev everyone is a very simple governance concept where you don't have to check system uh, relevance where, uh, um, um, for the distribution of the money. Uh, we have privilege freeness because not everyone tries to fish the common pool, the money completely. Um, so that special interest groups would not be interested in 
uh, seeking more uh, basic income, for example. Yes, because it's distributed completely equally, you cannot change it. And here is the concept of the net basic income. You see, if there is a shutdown, uh, the double red uh, uh, lines, no one of these persons, of the entrepreneur, of the worker, or of the freelancer can receive anymore his market income, then there should be a lockdown in the payment uh, chain also for the rentier, that's uh, M with green double arrows, uh, green double lines, and also capital payments from the entrepreneur, uh, the worker, and uh, the freelancer, interest on capital and redemption should be also uh, locked down artificially. Why is that possible? Only because everyone receives a net basic income, which he needs only, which he needs only for consumption during the crisis. That's very important. Yeah, only for consumption because you don't have to pay rents and uh, uh, interests and uh, redemption. The capital owner and the landlord do not receive. Uh, the rents and uh, the redemption rates, yeah, but they also receive net basic income just like the entrepreneur and the worker and the freelancer, uh, uh, which do not receive their money due to the um, lockdown necessary for um, health product, pro, uh, protection. So we have two examples, very simple, two examples. If you have, for example, what we have recognized in Germany, if you would like to promote training positions so that an entrepreneur still is in action to train the younger ones, it will not work because the entrepreneur said, it's nice that you give me for trainee program 400 euro for each person, but I have to pay my rent, I have to pay my redemption, that's too, too much, I will not educate anyone. Under NBI, yes, if there is the lockdown again for everyone, the artificial as well as the, um, as the uh, one induced by health uh, protection, then training positions uh, and training uh, support may work. This is a specific economic policy in education policy. Why? Because the entrepreneur has not to pay rent and redemption. It's the same with energetic um, you know, uh, renovation subsidies. That's very important to notice. Yeah. Why? Because uh, here you see it's the same with the problems to pay rents and interest on redemption. Therefore, an entrepreneur or a civic society, a, a, a person, a citizen may stop an energetic renovation because the subsidy is not enough and he will reject the program. Yeah, If you have net basic income, then you will uh, uh, use the energetic renovation subsidy uh, um, once more and the program will not break down. Yeah, so that uh, environmental policy is still at place under the crisis when the net basic income works. Therefore, you see more than social policy and fiscal policy implications. Last aspect here, what I would like to mention, we have calculated it by the argument, um, do we have uh, basic income related parts of the social budget? 
we calculated it for Germany. These were 400, round about 467 billion euro out of the national social budget. The total cost, if we would pay for everyone, only for consumption expenditures, 550 euro and for children a little bit less, then uh, we have a BI-related social budget, which, which does nearby cover the total cost for this net basic income. If we then calculate also in the uh, basic income related corona emergency aid of 150 billion euros, we have calculated it, all these things which are paid nearby unconditional simple cash transfers, then we have a positive difference. Yeah, we calculated it. Uh, nowadays, the difference increased due to additional programs with BI-related corona emergency aid programs. And because the national budget for 2019 is now higher than that was for 2018. And uh, the fiscal implication is that we can pay for such a crisis basic income without any problem. The task is now that if we implement this NBI in times of crisis, what we have at the, still at the moment, uh, then uh, we know uh, then we know that in, in, at the times of prosperity we can switch back to the uh, workfare system, old uh, uh, old traditional workfare system, or we can implement a full UBI, for example. Um, participatory UBI during times of prosperity and moving back to times of uh, uh, to the NBI in times of crisis. So my final hypothesis, my proposition would be an BI society in such a way with crisis and participatory UBI would be more successful than a short time payment and a workfare society what we have at the moment in Germany, and it will pay for every modern country. And at the moment, we investigate if it pays also for more developing countries. Thank you very much. And so basically, what you are, you have, just to recap, you show us the case of Germany at the, during the pandemic with these uh, uh, net basic income, and uh, which is what you define is an unconditional cash, cash transfer, but that's only for a crisis. And you advocate the extension of the uh, universal basic income as a as an exante uh, uh, measure to uh, protect people from uncertainty, whatever the mm -hmm. uncertainty comes from. So basically, yeah, exactly. in other words, if we had the UBI in place in your specific case of Germany, before the crisis, then would have been an immediate, an automatic way. So people mm -hmm. would have been protected uh, exactly. against the crisis and against the uncertainty that mm -hmm. the crisis uh, uh, obviously uh, brought. Um, and without creating the whole structure to try to reach everybody and pay people who have freelancing, self-employed entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. people who didn't. So mm. that's the, the, the key issues about it. So it exactly. would be from a fiscal point of view, it would be more efficient to have a new BI rather than switch to an MBI, so net basic income at a type of crisis. Exactly. Yeah. 
Thank you. And then again, we will come back with a question uh, uh, from the audience and also for the debate and the, the Q&A. Now I turn to Thomas for his presentation, 15 minute, 15 minutes presentation. And I believe that you do not have uh, uh, any uh, slides or PowerPoint to show and to share on your screen with the rest of the audience. Okay. That's correct. So, um, over to you, Thomas, and your 15 minutes. Okay. Um, now, I've interpreted this session to be about how to finance a UBI. Uh, but before getting into the details, I want to state that I believe a UBI is both feasible and desirable. But I also believe uh, a UBI will need to be paid for via taxation. Uh, budget deficits and alternative monetary arrangements can provide some financing, but they cannot provide enough for uh, a mature UBI. In my view, um, proponents do their cause a disservice by arguing they can. Such arguments distract from the merits of a UBI, which fully justify taxation, and they undermine the case by identifying it with fringe monetary theories. Um, now, how does the system work? The, the financing of a UBI will depend on the details of the system. And that raises two fundamental questions. Who qualifies and how much is the basic income payment? Now, who qualifies is a political choice. I view a UBI as being for working people. Uh, the goal is to ensure a degree of economic comfort and security so as to give people control over their time so that the fruits of economic progress get harvested by all. So in my framework, a UBI would be paid to all adults aged 18 to 65. Those under 18 will be covered by child support systems, and those over 65 will be covered by retirement income support systems. Now, as regards the amount paid, uh, a UBI will need to be phased in, and that introduces a distinction between a transitional and a mature UBI. The mature system will cost much more. Uh, I would like to see a $1,000 a year UBI introduced immediately and the goal of a $12,000 UBI within the next decade. So this is for the United States that I'm going to be working on. Uh, the pace of the phase in would be contingent on economic developments and the system can be further expanded if warranted. So, the next step is some basic uh, back of the envelope cost calculations. And here I'm going to use US data. In 2020, the US population was 331 million people. And there were 203 million persons aged 18 to 65, representing 61.3% of the population. So my version of UBI would cover 61.3% of the population. Now in 2019, US GDP was $21.4 trillion. And I'm using American trillions, which is uh, 1,000 billion. Uh, UB pay UBI payments would be part of taxable income. And so let's assume a 10% tax clawback. If you put those pieces together, a 1,000 per year UBI to every adult worker, 18 to 65 years old, would cost about 0.9% of GDP, slightly under 1% of GDP. 
And a $12,000 per year UBI would cost 10.2% of GDP. Now, a 1,000 payment is clearly immediately feasible and can be put in place with little or no disruption. But a $12,000 payment, though it's feasible, is 10% of GDP, and that's a big transfer, and it would therefore need to be phased in. And getting ahead of the story, that explains why taxation will ultimately be needed, because it's the only way to raise that amount of finance. Now, we should not be scared by these numbers. When the welfare state was introduced in the first half of the last century, it also needed a reconfiguration of resources and large transfers. And we all know the welfare state saved capitalism from itself. Today, capitalism confronts new problems, and a UBI represents the needed response, and it will also need huge transfers. So advocates of a UBI should not be shy about admitting that. And also, I would say that in connection with the creation of a welfare state, it took over 50 years of political struggle to get the welfare state in place. And the political implication is that it's never too soon to get started on a UBI. And that gets to the crux of the matter. How are we going to finance a UBI? What I'm going to do now is run through some proposed uh, options. And my conclusion is that a taxation will be needed and there's no avoiding that. Now, the first option is budget deficit financing. Over time, the government debt should grow at the same rate as output to maintain a constant debt to GDP ratio. That creates space for growth to finance some deficit spending, but that space is diminished by interest on the debt. There's a very simple formula, which I'm not going to explain now, that determines the budget space that is provided by growth. It depends on first, the growth versus interest rate differential, which determines the growth dividend. And second, it depends on the debt to GDP ratio, which determines the base on which that dividend is paid. So let's, obviously what's critical is assumptions about those parameters. So let's assume the debt to GDP ratio is 1.5. That's a hundred debt to GDP is 150%. Debt is 150% of GDP. And let's assume that the growth interest rate differential is 1%, one point. In that case, budget financing deficit yields 1.5% of GDP. That's nothing near enough to finance a UBI. Let's go full Japan and assume the debt to GDP ratio is 2.5, 250%. In that case, the budget budget deficit financing yields 2.5% of GDP, still nothing where enough. Let's do a third scenario. Let's go full optimistic Japan, 2.5%, 250% debt GDP ratio, and a two point growth interest rate differential. In that case, you get 5% of GDP, free debt deficit financing. We're only halfway to financing uh, a, a UBI of $12,000 per year. And we've been tremendously optimistic about growth and a continued zero interest rate environment. So we will have loaded up on financial risk. And if growth slows or interest rates rise, the, dividend, the, the deficit dividend will fall. And we'll also likely face 
financial and economic crisis because the accumulated debt will need to be refinanced at higher rates. Now, that is actually the good news. The bad news is that government is already running budget deficits that are significantly above the amounts that I've just calculated. For the last 30 years, average budget deficits have risen as a percentage of GDP, and budget deficits have risen very sharply since the 2008 financial crisis. Between 2011 and 2020, the UK average deficit was 5.2% of GDP. In the US, it was 7.7% of GDP. And what I'm saying is we're already fully using the budget deficit dividend. That means to financing a UBI will either need tax increases or spending cuts that make room for it. Now, increasing the money supply is another uh, proposed alternative. That's modern money theory, which says that we can use money finance deficits. We can just print money. Now, that claim runs into similar difficulties that those I've just described with bond financing. Um, I'm not going to describe the many criticisms of MMT. I'm just going to talk about those that are relevant to financing a UBI. First, I want to point out that money financing is not free. That is because central banks pay interest on reserves as a way of setting the short-term interest rate. Second, a money-financed UBI will require permanent ongoing increases in the money supply. But as with debt, the money supply is also subject to a GDP ratio constraint. And increasing the money supply to GDP ratio brings the same risks of financial fragility, inflation, and monetary disorder. And once again, we can do some simple estimates of the financial space provided by money deficits. Remember, government money is a liability of central banks. In the US, before the 2008 crisis, the liability to GDP ratio was 6%, 6% just 6% of GDP. After 13 years of quantitative easing, the ratio is 35% of GDP. Now, if we assume a very optimistic growth interest rate differential of two points, in that case, the money financing dividend from increasing this 35, this existing stock at the rate of growth is just 0.7% of GDP. I mean, that's nowhere near the 10% cost of a mature UBI. And if you double the liability GDP ratio, let central banks keep printing money for another 10 years at the same rates so that the money supply goes to 70%, the liabilities go to 70% of GDP, you still only raise about 1.4% of GDP. So everything that you hear about modern monetary theory, being able to finance a UBI, just does not add up. It doesn't raise the required amount of money and it blows apart all the ratios that have historically been associated with stable economic growth. Now, another proposal is positive money. That's where uh, you, uh, proponents advocate a form of narrow banking, the twist being that the central bank now provides bank deposits in place of private banks. But once again, the dividend from growing the deposit base along with GDP does not yield enough money. 
In 2021, U.S. sector bank deposits were equal to 18% of GDP. Let's assume a two-point two growth interest rate differential. That's going to yield you just 0.36% of GDP, which doesn't get close to the 10% number. And again, there are very serious criticisms of positive money. It would likely raise bank interest rates, it would lower growth, and it would create financial fragility in the banking system. A fourth way of raising money is to cut government spending in certain places. And here we get in touch with some real possibilities, but it's going to depend on each country's particular position. In the US, the bloated state of the national security budget and our awful healthcare spending create a lot of room for space here. In 2019, the US government spent 4% of GDP on defense. By the way, that was more than the next 11 largest country spenders spent. If we cut defense by 1% of GDP, that would free up 1% of revenue that could cover a $1,000 per year payment. That's something, but nothing near enough. The real opportunity is in healthcare. The US spends the most in the world. Switzerland spends the next most per capita. And the US also has very poor healthcare out outcomes. If we were to reduce our healthcare spending per capita to Swiss levels, we would save 4.7% of GDP. That would be enough to pay almost every adult worker $5,000 per year. In other words, remedying US healthcare inefficiencies could make resources available to cover half, almost half of a 12,000 a year GDP. That gets to the punchline. Taxation is going to be needed to finance a mature UBI, but unfortunately, perhaps owing to the chilling effect of neoliberal politics, some UBI proponents shy away from that option. In fact, there are very strong economic and political reasons for tax financing, the most obvious of which is it raises the necessary revenue. We have a challenge, which is to combat what I call the triple crisis of neoliberalism, climate change, and prospective technological unemployment. Financing of a UBI should be consistent with and assist that goal, and we can do that by a combination of progressive income tax, corporation tax, and environmental taxes like a carbon tax. So to conclude, in my view, a UBI is needed, desirable, and feasible, but it's going to require significant financing. An annual UBI of 12,000 per adult, 18 to 65, in the US would cost roughly 10% of US GDP. Advocates should be open about the cost. The welfare state required resources, and so too will a mature UBI. Some advocates are reluctant to talk about tax financing for fear of political backlash. I think they're wrong. A UBI can and should stand on its own merits. And claiming that it can be financed by appeal to free lunches and fringe monetary theories distracts debate and risks tarnishing the idea. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Um, and let me start. We've got now about just a bit more than 20 minutes for our uh, Q&A. But let me start from your last point, which is uh, you rightly uh, tell people 
then there is no free lunch here. And so uh, is the uh, uh, UBI is a great idea. And in this session, we don't even discuss whether it's good or bad. We actually are focusing on how we pay for it. And so basically, you're saying that there isn't a free lunch. And the issue is one of trade-offs and policy and political choices. And so your suggestion is having explore a number of uh, options, then the best one is to turn to taxation. And so basically a mix of uh, progressive income taxation, corporation tax and environmental tax. So, and at the end of the day, that is the way forward if uh, in order to pay for this UBI. As you said, it's expensive and is quite intuitive then to provide a, a universal basic income to uh, the population and regardless of many people we have, it's an expensive uh, endeavor. And in particular, if we want to make something that is significant and is not just, uh, you know, uh, money then it cannot really uh, be particularly useful in the sense that it's not uh, high enough. Um, let's open the debate here and I'd like to bring in also Bernard and uh, you gave us this uh, uh, interesting overview of uh, Germany but again I'd like to turn to you and see what uh, you know assuming and we take uh, um, the uh, the view then UBI isn't a, a good uh, a good idea so how we're we going to pay for it and and in particular we'd like to get on the German case to see how in Germany, being a fiscal conservative country, mm -hmm. I really like to know how this uh, uh, UBI, but we know how NBI has been funded, but how a UBI, which is not, you know, an experiment mm -hmm. for a small amount that affects mm -hmm. a small amount mm -hmm. of people. We got plenty of these in Europe and recently I mean, Italy got a UBI, but again, is restricted. Spain got a UBI, but again, they are experimental. Apologize, I got my headphones. Mm -hmm. um, the UBI is restricted to certain groups, so it's more an experiment than a universal measure. So I'd like to turn to you, Bernard, and maybe you can tell us something more about how Germany, how, how can be paid uh, for UBI in Germany. Yeah, uh, one aspect which is related concerning the total amount uh, to uh, the informations by Thomas, I, I prefer the idea of a so-called social dividend as a share of the GDP, for example. Yeah, however you finance it. Yeah, uh, for example, at Freebies we investigate in pure consumption tax finance. Yeah, here you have seen that there might be more room, especially for countries with, with a well-developed uh, social state like Germany or the Scandinavian countries, yeah, that there are a lot of offsetting options, yes. Uh, the NBI is then uh, uh, tran transferred towards a, a, a full UBI due to the fact that you will not stay in crisis. So this means you have uh, more tax revenues and you have more potential than for uh, uh, organizing and creating, for example, or running public deficits. My argument, for example, for 
uh, euro bonds, yes, if you would like to run it uh, all over Europe, yeah, the, the, the idea of the euro dividend is that you need a common pool. That's very important. And in the, in the European Union, the common pool could be uh, the integration rent of the European Union. Yeah, we earn a lot of money. You see it at the moment. Um, we earn a lot of money uh, compared now to Great Britain and its specific problems to move out by Brexit yeah, with integration, with the integration rent. And you can try to tax, at least ideally, the integration rent just like a profit tax or a tax on the GDP generated by integration rent. And then you will see we have a lot of money for it. If you still try to solve it in a national way uh, uh, concerning uh, the full basic income, yeah, then you have, for example, what I have missed in my presentation, you have to move to a reform track. And in the reform track, due to problems with the old-fashioned uh, social insurance system in Germany, even in Germany, we will run into old-age poverty for a lot of uh, uh, pensioners, yeah? Or uh, we can become pensioner when we are very, very old. Both is what we do not want, yeah? So therefore, we could uh, uh, solve this also by an offsetting uh, additionally of our social security system for the pension system. Only in the long term with a, with a certain transition time. But then we have a lot of money for offsetting. Yeah, We have to take care that specific programs have to stay specific because they are not for general coverage of individuals. They are for specific social insurance. These are not BI-related payments. Yeah. But with that, and an additional amount for uh, amount from uh, from uh, tax revenues or running deficits or creating money should be enough. For me, it's really not a question that we cannot finance it. It is, uh, uh, as, um, as Sarah Davala said, it the idea that the individuals are thinking how to employ the money they have organized by all their performances uh, at the end in terms of GDP. So basically, sorry, if I understood correctly, you suggest to um, shift around some of the expenditure for social mm -hmm. uh, security from in mm -hmm. within the welfare state. Unemployment completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and I can see a, a potential shift between unemployment benefits and the universal basic income, but you also also mentioned pensions and mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, suggestion of shifting the what we say a, a, a long term entitlement of people who actually uh, are entitled and they mm -hmm. sign a say a contract when they join the labor force maybe in yeah. their twenties, expecting to retire in their uh, late 60s with a certain amount of pension. So, and if I understand correctly, your suggestion, it seems to me then is not feasible nor fair to actually, or unless you find a way to redistribute, but I don't see, frankly, I can't see it. The arithmetic doesn't quite add up here uh, to, okay. uh, you know, take a bit of pension, giving to the basic income, the pensioner will get the basic income, but obviously it would be less than what they give away for this. Sorry, this is very, 
uh, basic and uh, simplistic description, but it's, um, I'd like to get your reaction to this and specify and this correctly your suggestion. Okay, I try to be short. Uh, you clearly need for uh, a complete uh, transfer uh, or transition of the pension system. Yeah, there are two roads, so to speak. The first one is that even in Germany, uh, we see that if we, with the traditional system, if we do not a lot concerning its financing, yes, it will collapse. Yeah, and for many, it will indicate old age poverty. That's the first thing. UBI is uh, is is uh, is is uh, insuring against old age poverty if the amount is high enough. What the real amount is is uh, in Germany we discuss one thousand up to one thousand five hundred. Yes, for example, uh, that's I would say a matter of degree. The second thing is if you. Uh, move to a UBI system and you would like to transfer the pension system also, yeah, you can say, now we, we move to UBI and from that day on all the old uh, and entitlements due to the old system, yeah, are still paid for the individuals, individuals who have the uh, entitlement, yeah, and uh, the property right to do that. But from that day on, from that day on, they will not receive it. Do you know what I mean? Only up to that day, for everyone who is in the old-fashioned pension scheme, they still receive up to the end of their time as in a share that in accordance what they have paid in. This will be not too much because you can see if they would stay in the old-fashioned system, it would also decline. Yeah, <laughs> And if you take this into consideration, uh, the younger you are, the more uh, attractive participatory UBI will become. Yeah? And there is a certain trade-off to transfer the old uh, system into a new one. But it's possible. Yeah? We, we have done it with other systems also. It's possible to do that. And then the older ones will receive a little bit more money because they have paid in the old-fashioned system, yes. But this will end up after 10, after 15, or after 20 years. Okay, thank you. I'd like to move on also to, to, to ask another question and also pick some of the uh, questions in the in the. Uh, in the in the chat and in, there is one which is actually very relevant and it is the inheritance tax so basically this is a proposal for example this that is on the table in Italy and obviously has not been particularly successful and the proposal is to uh, increase the uh, uh, taxation by a, a, a sort of pretty uh, marginal uh, amount um, and uh, taxation above the threshold of uh, 1 million uh, euros and distribute this as a sort of basic universal basic income for the youth and obviously and there is a question in in the in the chat we could think and be even more bold and then to bring some of this uh, system and inheritance tax a bit more um you know, taxing a bit more uh, with above a, above a certain threshold and use this to uh, uh, support uh, UBI. Is there something then you have looked into in your research 
do you have any any insight in this proposal and why none of you hasn't mentioned it? Well, maybe listen, in the United States, this, it's this politically is a 15, very. fifteen-minute presentation. It's silly to think that we're going to present everything. This was uh, you asked to give some thoughts. So I, I identified some major possibilities. All taxes are on the table in the U.S. It's quite clear we need a progressive inheritance tax with with very high rates at the top end where the sort of the, the where the dynasties exist. Uh, in also in the U.S., it's very clear. We need to change our capital gains tax law so that at death you don't get a capital gains tax free ride. The step up, you don't get the step up basis issue. These are technicalities that I, I mean, we were encouraged not to go there, so that's why we didn't go there. But it, it, it cut us the slack of saying that all taxes, all progressive taxes, are on the table. I do want to say some things though that I've uh, heard in in the comments so far. First of all, I was trying to describe what I call a true universal basic income. It's universal. The little pieces of it, some here, some there, some there, I think undercut it. My vision is to give working people ownership of their time, which is the ultimate goal of economic progress. They should have some comfort and security and be able to own time, which I think is the most important thing in life. And that's what this is about. There are going to be problems of uh, we have an existing piecemeal system, how to integrate the pieces smoothly as they work together. I focused on 18 to 65 year olds. There's a retirement income issue, and then there's a, there's a, a minor issue when uh, people are children under 18 years old. Um, that's point number one. Secondly, it has good stabilizer properties, but I, again, I don't think that. And that's a but that's a marginal feature about the universal basic income. The real thing is to get it on this table so that we really do address the future, which I think is a future of technological unemployment, and a future in which there will be the possibility of owning time because progress is going to be fantastic. But if we don't put the right institutions in place, what could be fantastic will turn out to be a curse. And lastly, one point that uh, Bernard made about euro bonds. Yes, euro bonds are essential to making the euro function well as a currency system. But every bond is subject to the same bond deficit algebra, that it cannot go above this uh, growth minus interest rate differential or it becomes explosive. And there, mu there must be some limits to those ratios. I do see some question here. Somebody has got something about World War II was different. World War II was different, but I would never use World War II to characterize normal experience. Uh, we can push the system to fantastic extremes, fantastic productivity levels, but to sustain it there, when people were doing forced saving, everyone, there was nothing in the shops to buy, and people were saving for patriotic purposes, buying war bonds, etc. It's not a good measure of how a system can operate permanently in peacetime. It's how it shows, it's a tribute to us, to what we can accomplish under stress, but it cannot be the model and is not a good guide for what can happen in, in peacetime. I'm just responding to one question there in the, in the chat room. Okay, and I think Bernard wants to get into yeah, this. Uh, to, to add some, something to the advantages and also disadvantages of t peaceful times, yeah, is uh, what uh, Joseph Stiglitz called the dynasty of savers or saving dynasties, yeah, that you have more and more uh, persons, but a very uh, a small 
yeah, uh, 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 crowd um, who uh, are accumulating capital more and more. Yeah, uh, this is to the, the the problem of the inheritance tax, and the other ones cannot follow them for a free so-called. Now you see, I'm totally conservative for a free market economy. It's very important that we have to some degree equal opportunity and we don't have it when we have these saving dynasties. So therefore for that, uh, an inheritance tax may be also useful. Why? And now that's the problem with, with crisis and also the problem, especially with wars is if you have a war, then from time to time capital is redistributed or distribute uh, or, or uh, uh, destroyed yeah therefore these dynasties may also fail they did only partially we know it in germany even for the losers yeah <laughs> they more or less came back but in peaceful times the inequality will become larger and larger and then the the promise of the free market economy that everyone can have a part of the cake if he's working very hard is wrong because we move more and more towards this rentier capitalism where you can earn very very easy a lot of unearned income and others who are productive cannot be a part of this high level of income and, and that's a big issue and also a problem for redistribution and if the inheritance tax helps here a little bit then it might be milder than they think. In Germany, we have also the idea of, um, of extraction, you know, of income and assets and so on, and uh, in, in the housing market and so on. That's why, because we say there's a lot of problem with reckless investigators, uh, investors in the housing market who have a lot of the land uh, owned, yeah? And that's a big issue and a big problem, which we cannot solve only by arguing we regulate it a little bit. For that, we need what Thomas said, a really full security that everyone can do its best and be creative for himself. And then we will see that the individuals will become even more creative, yeah, because they know they uh, will sorry, Bernard, uh, can I stop mm -hmm. you there? Because we've got literally a few minutes and I'd like to conclude with a question to both of you and try to wrap up also the, the, the question we have in the chat. And so obviously it's clear then the universe at UBI is a good idea, but it's one then is expensive and it implies trade-offs and policy choices. And so um, my question to both of you is obviously taxation is the way forward to support and fund this initiative. But what about, and again, back to your point uh, about redistribution and uh, um, what about a reform of the tax system in our countries, in Germany, in the United States, uh, in the UK, in Italy and so on, then really uh, look at the issue of the redistribution, so a, 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 an overall reform. And some people in the chat talks about uh, uh, land taxation, we got inheritance tax. So an overall reform then actually act as a, um, uh, improve uh, the, the redistribution mechanism. So, and then to make sure then people, and then we can, uh, that we can actually think about UBI, and, but also a better and uh, a more uh, inclusive welfare system. 
particularly the healthcare system. So, um, what would be your answer to this? Well, well, I, I'm for it. Uh, the reform tax reform in every country will be very contingent on what the current uh, tax system is. Uh, I'm a Georgist. I'm very for taxing land. Uh, I'm very for inheritance taxes, progressive taxes, corporation taxes. All, all of them make tremendous sense. Uh, there's one tax I am against, which is a wealth tax. I think it's just a uh, just create business for accountants. It's very it's very arbitrary hiding wealth you just get into strange games and the stock market goes up these days one percent am i one percent wealthier tomorrow and then what happens when it goes down two percent the day after this is a lot of this is fictitious wealth these valuations what happens is when it, inheritance taxes are critical that's when wealth gets transferred and they should, should not be able to be transferred in, in this in these massive ways and on this incredibly tax favored basis income taxes are the way and uh to claim back the productive part of the economy uh, and redistribute it. Uh, I, have, I have one more thought. Um, it's, 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 it's passed me by. I'll, I'll pass. But obviously, yes, these, uh, a tax reform like of, of this sort is needed. No, one, one, the point I was making was that I tried to make also in this paper. I've looked at the US. I don't know what the European economies are like. But in the US, we have a lot of space. In some ways, we're almost lucky. Our, 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 we have a lot of space to reallocate government spending. Our defense budget is hugely bloated. As I said, 4% of GDP, more than the combined amounts of the 11 next spenders, China, Russia, the United Kingdom, Saudi Arabia, all together, they don't spend as much as we do here. And our healthcare system is abysmal. Not only does it produce terrible healthcare outcomes, it's incredibly expensive. Uh, I said, I think that the total spending that's out of pocket and government is 16.9%. The government share is 14.1%. That's in, in, in the form of tax giveaways to subsidize health or s straight plain spending through government programs. We can get that down by at least 5% of GDP. So we, in a way, if we're, if we're smart enough, and we could persuade people to see how this is such an inefficient system. We're a, we, in the US, we could be very quickly close to a UBI. In Europe, I don't know because you have uh, uh, much better healthcare systems. Uh, there's just there's not there's no there's not so much fat. I don't think there's very much fat at all. In fact, in the British system, to cut. In fact, it probably needs more resources, but it's delivering at least. Yeah. Okay, I think we are now uh, at the end of our session. I think there are so many open questions on the table, but thank you very much to uh, uh, our participant, Bernard Marker and Thomas Paley for um, these stimulating uh, presentations and discussions. And uh, thank you very much to all of you who'd followed us today. As I said, this is an ongoing discussion and we hope that it will become part of a progressive agenda and not just an experiment to be mm -hmm. uh, taken up from time to time. And thank you very much. And then thank have you. a good rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you Bye. very much for this perfect moderation. And thank you to the audience.